0: Tonight, as you can see, we're going to continue our uh, series on Call to Be Free, uh, which is our series in the book of Galatians. And we've reached uh, chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. Um, so if you have the, the kind of house Bibles, uh, they're in pages 1171 and 1172. So you're going to have to do some flicking. Uh, so I, you might have to be ready for that. Um, but also you can tap or swipe to that now. Um, and obviously, if you don't have one, then you can pick up the last remaining Bible here, or you can take it home if you don't have one at home. So, I don't know about you, um, but I've really been aware that in kind of society uh, today, that the, the person of Jesus and even the stories of the Bible have been uh, quite relevant actually. Uh, we've had blockbuster films such as Noah and uh, Exodus, and despite whatever you might think about the kind of uh, inaccuracies of those films, they've really, I suppose, put um, people thinking about those Bible stories again. Uh, We've also had uh, Shia LaBeouf uh, becoming a a Christian on the film set of Fury, Um, though I can't say what he said about becoming a Christian, um, as it does have an expletive. Uh, And also there's a lot of love uh, for people like Pope Francis II, who in 2013 was named Time Magazine uh, Person of the Year and also the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and um, faith and that concept of Christianity um, can be seen in quite a positive light at the moment, actually. Um, society might see the hope and the freedom in Jesus and in those well-known stories uh, and in those Christians as well, but what I want to talk about tonight is is the church, which uh, we're all here, we're all in church, so well done, um, and church is actually may be seen in a less favourable way. Um, We know that the church might not be just the building that we're here, but actually the church is a community of believers. It's people who, I suppose, choose to follow Christ. We're collectively known as the church. And I love uh, the local church. I love City Church, which I've been a part of for many years, but also I just love the local church in general, what it does, what it stands for, um, and what, what we believe. But there are many people that might disagree. Uh, Mick Jagger, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones, I'm not going to do an accent, but he says this. He says, Jesus Christ was fantastic. almost did there. Uh, But I do not like the church. The church does more harm than good. And uh, the Irish singer-songwriter Hosier, uh, in his song, Take Me to Church, he says this. He says, take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins. You can sharpen your knife. Offer me that deathless death. Good God, let me give you my life. It's a cheery way to start, isn't it? So, you may, if you've been around church for a while, then you'll have heard this phrase that the church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. But those, those couple of quotes show that many people don't see it like that. Instead of that freedom and that hope, people see slavery, they see bondage, and they see just another thing to be good at, or another thing where I don't want to get that wrong. And similarly, Paul has been journeying with this church in Galatia. They've come through infighting about the law, about aspects, about correcting theology. And Paul is calling them back again to to follow their first love, to follow the love of Christ, the gospel of Jesus that they've um, been told so many times before. And he's calling that church to be the hope of Galatia, to be the hope of the world. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But how can the church, how can you and me, how can City Church be the hope of the world? So why don't we read uh, Galatians 5, 13 to 26. It will come up on the screen. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. and envying each other. Why don't we just pray? Father God, I thank you for your church. I thank you that um, we can follow you and we can come together together to follow you. And Lord, I just pray tonight, I just pray um, against any distractions from hearing from you, Lord. I just pray that my words that come out of my mouth would be from you and those would really speak to people tonight. And it wouldn't be anything about me, but all about you. So like I said, my question tonight is that how can the church be the hope of the world? Well, in classic City Church style, I feel there are three ways, yes, three ways that the church can be the hope of the world. I didn't get them any way to rhyme at all or any to have the same letters in it at all, but we'll just go for it. So the first way, I suppose, is that we live in freedom that Christ has given us. Uh, We grow and serve in authentic relationships and we pursue fruit and not flesh. So the first one, we live in the freedom that Christ has given us. Um, Verse 13, Paul starts out this passage. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. And the last kind of part of that verse, in the message version, which I really love, it says, Just make sure that you don't use this freedom to do whatever you want and to destroy your freedom." So we see the message of freedom in the Bible, in this uh, passage in Galatians, the whole book of Galatians, and also in the the New Testament and throughout the Bible, that freedom is a, a concept that is used um, so many times, the Christian uh, freedom, I suppose. And um, I suppose what I was thinking is, about what kind of freedom are we talking about? Because freedom is a common word in society. Um, So freedom can be seen as physical. I suppose if uh, people are in slavery, then uh, they can be freed from chains. And we talk about um, the kind of so many millions who are in modern day slavery and how they're freed from uh, chains sometimes. And and also we talk about kind of economic freedom. So like free trade, capitalism that we're free to um, kind of trade and freedom of speech as well. But what this freedom is talking about, I think, is that we're talking about, Christian freedom is talking about the freedom of the soul. The spiritual freedom that we experience when uh, Jesus Christ comes into our lives. The uh, great philosopher of the 21st century, Shrek, uh, said this. He said, Ogres are like onions. They have layers. Now, I'm not accusing anyone here to be an ogre, but I think the same can be said for humans: that we have we have layers inside of us. We have physical layers, emotional layers, and we also have a spiritual layer. And when we experience Christ, when we experience that Christian freedom, we have that spiritual freedom in that spiritual layer. We have freedom in our souls. And some of us tonight uh, might know this, we might have experienced this, but others of us might not have. And I just want to go really quickly through this about what kind of Christian freedom can be summarized in. And it's in that verse, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible of John 3.16. I'm sure we could all recite it. I won't ask you to, but I'm sure we could have a wee nice little uh, recitation ourselves. But it's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but has eternal life. God loves you so much. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death for all you've done wrong, and set us free from slavery and bondage of sin when we've missed the mark. So that's what Christian freedom looks like. And you might be thinking, Ali, why, why are you telling me this? I've heard this hundreds and thousands of times. And the reason I'm telling you this is, my question is, you may know that, but do you live that out? Do you live out that freedom every single day? When we wake up in the morning, do we live in the freedom that Christ has set us free? Or do we not? And sometimes I think that we as Christians, we can see the gospel as a starting point. And um, We've been saved, and then we move on, and we grow and develop, and we kind of think about or oh, we think about more theology, and we—or we really get into our Christian books, we really get into our Christian CDs, we really get into our Christian chat, uh, called Christianese, um, and we really get into all things Christian. And then we forget actually what makes us a Christian—that Jesus has set us free, and that Jesus has come and saved us, and taken us from wherever we've been. He's died, and He's rose again for us. Or we can sometimes take that the other way and we can think, right, I've been, I've been saved. That's my get-out-of-jail-free card now. And I'm going to do whatever I want Monday to Friday and then maybe at the weekend I'll come along to church and then that's my pass. I can still uh, call myself a Christian. I just feel that Paul in this passage is telling us as a church to not forget where we've come from, to not forget what Christ has done for us. The gospel is almost like that biggest headline There is to being a Christian, but sometimes we can put it in the small print. Another way of saying that is the gospel is not our ABC. It's not our starting blocks of life, but it's our A to Z of how to live life every day, day in, day out, to live in that freedom. So Paul is saying to the church to not take that for granted, but to live our lives as is the gospel truth, our new every day, and to live in that freedom. So I guess your next question might be well Ali how do you how do you live in that freedom so uh, to illustrate this I want to tell you a little bit of a story now you might be looking at me today and thinking that Ali Elder, he's not the most macho man and and that's true I'm not the most macho man uh, my parents didn't call me Samson uh, for good reason maybe and um, they didn't I haven't offered too many tickets to the gun show recently um, <laughs> But there was one time in my life where I felt like, oh, I need to, I need to feel manly. I need to feel like I'm, I'm a man. And I was probably like 13, so kind of growing up. And I decided the way I was going to feel manly was I was going to join the school army cadets. I hadn't really thought it through, because basically, what you do in the school army cadets is that you uh, wear like a kind of green uniform, which is freshly ironed. My mum probably freshly ironed it, because I still struggle to iron my clothes. Um, and you march around, so you you are in this uh, kind of uniform all day, it's like woolen, it's really, really uh, hot and sweaty, and then you march around all day and you kind of walk around in the school playground. And um, yeah, I don't know why I thought that was manly, but the reason that I joined the Army Cadets was about six weeks in to the first time of joining the Army Cadets, is that we got to go to the rifle range. Oh yeah, so you got to got to hold a gun and shoot things, or so I thought. And um, so we got to this got to this rifle range. About six weeks in, it was a it was a Saturday afternoon, and we we, we did some marching. Uh, we had our freshly ironed uh, army cadet uniform on, and, um, and we were doing the marching. We were doing kind of some drills outside, and then finally we got to go inside and and go into the rifle range. And basically, I suppose the rifle range was that you were in groups of five, um, you were kind of all in a line, and. Uh, you would load your gun with these little pellets, kind of a glorified BB gun, uh, but to me it felt like a, like a machine gun. Um, and you would line up, you would load your pellets, you would uh, kind of crouch down in the prone position, so you'd be down, uh, kind of on the ground, and then you'd be looking through this little sight, kind of aiming at the target, which was about 25 metres away, a paper target, uh, and then you just kind of. Say like control your breathing, kind of uh, just easily s- squeeze the trigger, and um, and then you'd shoot at the at the targets. Um, so you got about five shots each turn, and I must have done done this like ten times each time, and uh, so I got about fifty shots in all. And every time, I I kid you not, every time we we finished, they were like, okay, everyone's finished, everyone stopped. They must have had a word for that. I've forgotten what that is. Um, and then they said, right, go and get your targets. And every time I was really excited to go and get my target. And every time I came back, my sheet was pristine white. (laughs) Nothing, nothing had hit it. There was a target in the middle, there was an A4 piece of paper and and nothing. You could never have told that I had actually fired any shots. And I I felt really good about myself at that point. Um, You know, trying to be a man and then couldn't even hit the target. And um, my friends being loving friends slagged me off rotten for that. And um, yeah, I I was just gutted. but my mate Fraser, uh, his dad was in charge of the group that we were with. And afterwards, uh, we got to stay around and, and try again, um, so to speak. And, and Fraser's dad saw that I was really gutted about this. So trying to console me, I think, um, maybe just to, to kind of give me pity, he, he looked, he u- went to use my gun, and he, he fired maybe two shots, and then he called me back over, and then he said, Ali, I know what the problem is. And he said the gun is not shooting 25 meters, it's shooting for 25 yards. So what I'm aiming at, I'm actually aiming miles further back. Um, so I, I'm completely missing the target anyway. So redemption came, we changed the uh, the uh, the target to, uh, to the to lens to 25 meters to 25 yards. I managed to hit at least like three. I wish I had the paper to, to, to tell you, you'll have to believe me. Um, yeah, and you might be wondering why I'm telling you that story, but I suppose the point is is that we as a church, as a community of believers, we need to look at everything through the lens of Jesus, through that kind of scope of the gospel. In this series, we talked a lot about grace. We talked a lot about law. And I'm sure if you want to look back at the backlog of podcasts, you can find more detail on that. But Paul here is calling the church to live in that freedom of God's grace. And not be bound by the law. And, like, I suppose my my prayer, my my thought to you today on this topic is: don't aim for that unachievable target of the law. Don't aim for that thing that's out of reach that we'll never ever achieve. Because we know that Jesus has already done that. He's already achieved that. He's taken things into into his own hands, and he's taken us away from that that um, that slavery of the law. But similarly, um, if we get annoyed, we're not going to um, suddenly take up our guns uh, in, in our rifle range and start shooting at other people's targets or shooting at other people's feet or whatever. We, we can't have that freedom of, of just doing whatever we want because Jesus has done so much for us that we have to, as having a relationship with him, we want to serve him with all we have. So let's aim for that target of the gospel that has given us. We make mistakes. We aren't perfect we were loved and accepted for who we are. Freedom has been given to us, but it wasn't cheap. It came at a price. And that freedom, I think, that freedom, spiritual freedom is so rare in the world, as others in in the world aren't that spiritually free. So the church has a real opportunity to be the hope of the world to people when we live in that freedom every day. We shouldn't be bound by things that we've already been freed from, but we should be show a difference in us, and that difference is Jesus. So the church is the hope of the world when we live in freedom, uh, in the freedom that Christ has given us, and the church is also the hope of the world uh, when we grow and serve in authentic relationships. Uh, in verse is 13 through 15, Paul states, he says, Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command." love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And then Paul finishes off uh, this passage with verse 26. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So we've um, established that we are to live in freedom, and now we're, I suppose, called to serve one another in love. And you might be thinking, To why serve? Well, um, Jesus said that we should do this when he uh, was asked in Matthew 22, "What is the greatest commandment?" And he said, "To love the Lord uh, with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and to love your neighbour as yourself." Jesus also gave that as the perfect example of serving. In Matthew 10:45, he says, "For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others." And Paul also, in his passages, warns us what will happen if we don't serve one another in love; we will destroy each other. They'll become conceited or gossip. That will become envious towards each other. And that serving in love keeps us from hurting those around us. And I think when we talk about serving, um, and Paul's here talking about serving, he could be talking about many things. He could be talking about serving in the church. He could be talking about serving our family, uh, serving our government. But what I feel that Paul is, is maybe saying to us tonight, and we're really focusing on, is serving in our relationships. When we look at those um acts of the flesh nine of those about nine of those of the 14 or 15 are concerning relationships now paul really wants to home in that as a church we need to be really good and really serving each other in our relationships and that's maybe countercultural to society today in our hashtag selfie centered society everything is about us what what can i get out of this what's in it for me like if all the things are geared towards us. If we're talking about a phone contract, you're looking at the best deals that are for you. Uh, if you're talking about going to McDonald's, you're looking at the best deal that is for you in that place. If you're if you're doing whatever you're doing, everything is geared towards us. It's geared towards that me culture of everything that is. What can I get out of it? What's the best thing that can happen for me? But Paul here is saying to do the opposite. He's saying, Who can I bless? Who can I serve? What can I what can I give away? Not what can I take, take, take but what can I give away? And that's a real way to show God's love to others through serving in relationships. And I think relationships have been a real key topic in the media this week, uh, with Jeremy Clarkson leaving Top Gear, uh, Dermot O'Leary leaving X Factor. I'm heartbroken about that. And, And Zayn Malik leaving One Direction. All about, I suppose, breakdown in relationships. Just a wee aside. If anyone from X Factor or uh, One Direction is listening, I am available on contract negotiations for those roles. I would just like to say that. But all those departures were due to a kind of relationship breakdown of some kind. Whether that's uh, one person kind of blowing up in someone's face or uh, one person, I suppose, feeling like artistic differences. Um, It was all about those relationships breaking down. And relationships are really difficult. I'm sure all of us have experienced a difficult relationship, one kind of another. um, But it's what the world is longing for, really good, loving relationships. Freddie Mercury, uh, the lead singer of Queen, said this. He said, Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but has prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Love is like Russian roulette for me. And sometimes we can feel that our relationships can be a bit like Russian roulette. Will I be loved today or will I be devoured? Will I have a genuine conversation with someone or will it be fake? Will it be authentic or will it be conceited? And in God, we have the example of the perfect relationship, of that Trinity of God the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the fact that God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, and laid down his life for us. That self-sacrificing, rescuing love. He would have done it for any of us if we were the only person in the world. And we, as a church, as you and I, as City Church, has a real opportunity to show this example to the world by having authentic relationships, loving those who we come in contact with, having integrity with our words, and wanting genuine friendships. And that might look like speaking to each other, one another in love, uh, rather than behind each other's back, but speaking about times where we're really proud of people, where we think they've done really well. Meaning what we say. Um, so often we can say, I'll be there for you, and then and then we're not. Or even we can often say, I'm praying for you. And so many times I've said that. I've said, I'm praying for you, and then I've completely forgotten and we don't want to beat ourselves up about that but we want to be genuine about that and say that actually when we say we're going to pray for someone that we do pray for them and that we have real friendships with people and not just social media friendships like a couple of years ago I remember um I was on Facebook and I was feeling quite good about myself I was like 600 friends yeah and um it came up to my birthday and obviously when you're on Facebook uh, everyone kind of finds out if you tell them your birthday uh, they find out your birthday and um I got about 150 people saying happy birthday to me. I felt so loved. I was like, yes, 150 people remembered it's my birthday because Facebook told them. Yeah, I know, but I felt great. And then the next year or so, um, just for various reasons, I decided to come off Facebook. And on my birthday, my birthday came around and I got six texts from people. 1% of my Facebook friends said happy birthday, remembered it was my birthday and two of them weren't even on Facebook, so work that one out. Um, But I guess us as Christians, I, I just feel that we need to be genuine with our friendships. That Facebook, that kind of Facebook friendship is the bare minimum, and we are called not just to do the bare minimum. We're called to do that extra mile. We're called to go above and beyond. And we could talk about so many kind of aspects of relationships tonight. But one thing I just feel like God is speaking to me tonight about is, is having honesty in our relationships. And uh, particularly maybe for some of us tonight at the 7 o'clock service, like in regards to flirting. And um, I, I say this not as your pastor, but as someone who's uh, been hurt by flirting and probably has hurt people by flirting. That, that seems harmless, but actually we're not showing integrity with what we say and how we actually feel. Our words are saying one thing, but our actions and our emotions are saying another it isn't loving but it actually devours people's thoughts and feelings it consumes do they really like me is that what they really feel i can lead to kind of envy and gossip my rule i suppose is that if you if you like someone tell them and if you don't don't lead them on but let's be different from society where tinder is rife and things like that going to a club meeting people is rife and it's all about that gospel all about the flirting about the texting let's be different from the world Let's actually show how we act and feel about each other. Let's not build up barriers, but actually draw them down. And let's be family in those loving and authentic relationships. So to be the hope of the world, the world needs to see a difference in the church. And in growing loving and authentic relationships, we have that opportunity. Let's not waste it, but let's use that opportunity to show the world what it's missing out on. So we live In the freedom that Christ has given us, we grow and serve in authentic relationships. And finally, we pursue fruit and not flesh. So in uh, verses 16 to 24, uh, Paul talks about this conflict that is raging within each of us between the flesh of the sinful nature and the spirit of God. Verse 17, he says, The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. And that um, concept of the flesh, um, I I was just trying to work out, how how do you kind of uh, bring that across? Because obviously we've all got flesh, we've all got skin, that kind of makes sense. Uh, But then I thought of an image. So I want you to imagine this image. Uh, You don't have to close your eyes, but you can imagine this image. I'm going to take you back to 2010, uh, to the MTV Music Awards, and uh, Lady Gaga wore this infamous meat dress. Yeah, that looked rubbish. (laughs) So just imagine, if we're talking about the desires of the flesh that we all have, if we're if we're ladies, we have a meat dress on, or if we're fellas, we have a meat suit. And just think about that. And at the start, I think at the start, I think it'd be feel quite cool. You'd be like, oh yeah. Kind of walking around, you're like, I feel good. I feel good in my meat suit. And uh, walking past people and they're like, Ali, you're looking good. And I'm like, right back at you. And um, you know, for the first few hours that might be quite fun. But then you go to bed and you're like, Oh, it's getting a bit itchy, I can't really can't really move around. And um, you might go for a run in the morning, big mistake, kind of sweating, really kind of pongy. Um, And after a few weeks, the meat starts to change color. Um, You might kind of start to smell really bad. Uh, There might be new life growing on the meat, but not in a good way, uh, because the maggots are having a field day. And it's an elaborated example, but that's what we do when we let the flesh, those sinful natures consume and control us. When we indulge in those uh, sinful natures listed in uh, verses 19 to 21, we allow them to have power over us and consume us. It might feel good for a while, um, but they weigh us down, and they can begin to rot and to fester. And Paul here acknowledges that battle. He acknowledges that, yes, there is a battle within each and every one of us, but shows that when we are in the Spirit, when we are children of God, we have an alternative that flesh. We can live in the fruits of the Spirit. And as I was reading these uh, um, kind of sinful natures, these acts of the flesh, I thought they could almost be categorized into three categories. It's kind of like excess of acts that we do to ourselves, whether that's uh, sexual acts or substance misuse. Um, There's our attitudes uh, towards God, kind of idolatry and witchcraft, and also our attitudes towards others, our attitudes towards deliverance. To, to relationships. And as I was reading those, and then I read the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. It was as if the fruits of the Spirit were, were an antidote for all those those acts and those attitudes. For those things that we do in excess to ourself, we can receive things like self-control, goodness, gentleness. For attitudes towards God, we can receive the love Joy and peace. And for attitudes towards others, we can receive fruits like patience, faithfulness, kindness. It's almost like Paul has given us this scripture that is just healing our hearts, letting us know that yes, we do struggle, but God has those answers for our struggles. And in verse 24, Paul goes further when he says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passion. And desires, saying that when we became Christians, we gave up those uh, sinful natures, we gave up those passions, those desires, and that those that flesh doesn't have power over us anymore, and that has been defeated by Jesus. But we still need to pursue those fruits, so we don't go back to the flesh. If we go back to my meat suit image, it's like when we became Christians, those suits, those dresses were nailed to the cross. Um, But sometimes when we slip into the old ways, it's almost like we're trying to go back to the cross, and we're trying to like take away. Uh, that meat suit. We're like, oh yeah, I really want to go back to that. And um, it's even more disgusting. It's completely uh, rotten and festered and smelling. But we still, we still can sometimes go back to that. And Paul reminding us here that we've given that up. So why go back? In verse twenty-one. Paul just gives us a warning about this battle with the flesh. He says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the original Greek here shows that that's not meaning the occasional slip-up. But if we have, um, kind of, we keep doing it over and over again, almost like a habit, we won't see the fruits in our lives, but that will have power over us and will consume us. And for those of us who are who are Christians here tonight who maybe feel like we have habits that we keep doing over and over again, that we know are not of God, I just want to say that we need to give them to God and to ask him to break those cycles, you know, and um, that can be like a dark area in our lives. And if we don't give that um, light, then then Jesus can't come in and heal that. He can't come in and take that away. We just need to give that to him. And for those of us who maybe don't know Jesus, and you might be feeling that, oh yeah, those, some, those are some of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that are in my life. I just want to urge you that wherever you're going through that, those things might be unhealthy and that there's a better way to live, that we can pursue fruit and not flesh. So for the church to be the hope of the world, we as individuals and as a community need to reflect God's love through living in freedom that we've been given, growing and serving in our relationships and pursue the good fruits in our lives. And in closing, and as I want to have a genuine, authentic friendship with you, I mean, I'm actually finishing. um, I wanna say maybe the most obvious thing that I might say tonight, but it also might be the most crucial that flesh, meat, is dead. I know. Something had to be killed in order for it to be meat. But fruit, when it's connected to the tree, is growing and it's full of life. In John 15, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So for us as a church, for us as individuals, I want to ask this question. Are we wearing flesh or are we wearing fruit? Are we wearing death or life? The world is crying out for the life that God brings. But are we wearing it? Why don't we stand?